A reading from Acts. Peter began to speak to the Gentiles. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. A reading from Colossians. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary said to Jesus, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means my teacher. 
And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Please be seated. Today we come to a story that many of us has heard so many times. It is frankly difficult to be surprised. But I think our invitation each Easter is in fact to be surprised. In order to do that, we might have to put ourselves in a different place in the story than usual. Usually we hear the entire story and think, golly Mary, after 2,000 Easter's you'd think you'd have figured it out. (laughs) And she hasn't. But I want to suggest maybe we haven't either. One way we can approach today is to say it's a neat day. It's neat that Jesus rose from the dead and will never die again. That's neat. But what does it mean for us? And so to walk back through the story, Mary goes to a tomb. A tomb that is a small hole. A tomb that is a small tomb. And in front of it is rolled a stone. Not a Herculean rock, but a round stone. Mary herself could have moved it. The purpose of the rock was not to keep people out of the tomb, but to keep animals out of the tomb, so that the body would not be desecrated. So Mary came with spices to pay her respect to her broken dreams. Mary came to mourn the loss of everything she hoped Jesus would be. She came to worship her own despair, and to anoint it, and to revisit it. And when she came, undoubtedly the first thing she thought when the rock was moved is, animals have got in there. And upon approaching the tomb, she realized, of course, she didn't go in. It was a little too scary of a place for her to go in, perhaps. She saw the cloths folded up, and her next thought was not about animals. It was that the body had been stolen. Because Mary was still in despair. She had no hope that God could do anything after that. And so she went back, distressed, and told Jesus' best friends, the ones who had been with him for three years, they've stolen the body! We've got to find it! We need it! I don't know why she needed it, but she did. And the friends can't believe it. Notice they have no faith either. They just want to go and see if it's true, and so they run. Peter, the rock upon which the church is built, the first bishop of Rome, the first pope, he goes into the tomb and just scratches his head because he has no idea that God could do anything with death. No idea. He goes home perplexed. Mary stays. Mary's got more mourning in her than Peter does. And then there's this fascinating incident. 
there's angels. They've got dazzling clothes, and they say, Lady, what are you looking for? Well, they stole my Lord. They stole him from me. I don't know where they put him. And then she turns around, and golly, there's nobody there except the risen Jesus himself, and she doesn't even recognize him. It's as if the story is inviting us to consider that Mary has a map, a map of the world and a map of her life. I think I often carry this map. Here I am and here is where I want to be and golly, maybe God could just give me some pointers. I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. Maybe God could just straighten it out. All I need is just a little direction. Where's Jesus? I understood it all so well. Maybe the story is trying to tell us the resurrection is not just about getting new directions. It's about changing the entire map. God would like to change the landscape in which we chart our lives. Well, Mary's not ready. She looks at the resurrected Jesus the one who will never die again, the one who is God incarnate, and she thinks he's the gardener. She thinks he's the hired help. She thinks he's one of those five guys that come to my house every two weeks and drive the tractor out and get the weed eater and the blower and mow my yard in 30 minutes and clip the bushes. She thinks he's one of those guys. And by the way, I think the story is telling us that if we can't see the risen Christ in one of those guys, Jesus asks us to look again. She says, sir, where have you put the body? I need it. We have no idea why she needs it, but she does. Maybe her dreams for who God would be and what God would do for her life are still so precious to her, even though they've been broken and disappointed, that she needs to hold them. Jesus says, Mary, that's it. And we heard this before, Christ the Good Shepherd says, my sheep hear my voice and they know that I am their shepherd and hearing her name is enough for her to put her map down for a second and she says my teacher and I guess she grabs him because the resurrected Jesus says let me go let me go I wonder why it is that she grabs a hold of him maybe Jesus is warning us against grabbing on too tightly the image we think he is. Maybe Jesus is warning us that the Jesus we desperately want to hold on to is the dead one. And the risen Christ cannot be held by our poor imaginations. What do I mean? Think how often we say, Well, God, if you'd just help me out a little bit, that'd be great. Bentley would be fine. I'd take one of those. 
Uh, God, if you'd help me succeed in my job and just, you know, pretty much bless my efforts, I'll pray to you sometimes and everything will be great. God, if you'd just be on my side, we'll walk in faith together. And I wonder instead if the resurrected Jesus isn't saying, I am not on your side. Why don't you come walk on mine? I am not interested in working with your map, the one by which you are going to dither here and there and get some place you think is great when you've messed out on my imagination for yourself and the world. I wonder if the resurrected Jesus isn't saying you cannot hold the living God, instead you are to be held by the living God. I wonder if Jesus isn't asking Mary to lay the map down that she's used to navigating so she can pick up a new one, a new one where frankly the truth is beyond our normal consideration that there is nothing we can do to get closer to God. Nothing. That there is nothing we can do to make God love us any less. That there is nothing we can do to make God love us any more. I don't navigate with that map most days of my life. And it's because of a failure of my imagination. The resurrected Jesus, I think, asks us to reimagine this whole faith business. God is not a nutritional supplement here to boost us up for the day. God would transform the way we live, the way we see ourselves, the way we treat each other. There is something else incredible about this story. See, we've heard it so many times that it's in some ways relatively easy for us to hear the story of Jesus. Good Friday's a bad day. He dies, and on Saturday he's in the tomb, and that's bad. But we know what's happening on Sunday. We know there'll be a resurrection. And golly, in some ways that makes Friday and Saturday just a little easier to bear. That makes the story sort of a neat thing. I think again, though, the Easter message asks us to reconsider where we are in the story. Mary and the disciples had no idea that God could bring new life out of a place of death and abandonment. No idea. And if I'm honest with you, I don't have that idea in many of the stories I walk in my own life. If I did, golly, wouldn't life be easier? If I knew my kids would turn out all right, the sleepless nights, the petty argument, the enforcing of the rules, I could bear it. I could bear the Fridays and the Saturdays of those moments if I knew new life was coming. I could sit at an Easter lunch with family that I don't like if I knew new life was going to come out of that. I could do it on Thanksgiving, too, maybe. (laughs) I could sit through performance reviews that don't go the way I wanted if I knew new life could come out of that. I could sit through a diagnosis of stage four cancer if I knew 
there'd be a resurrection. I could sit through lack of forgiveness and lack of reconciliation most of my life if I knew there'd be a Sunday. But isn't that the problem? We don't know. Or maybe, put a different way, maybe the problem is we don't trust. Now, I'm not naive, and the gospel isn't either. So pay attention that when Jesus comes back, he is still extremely wounded in five places. And when Jesus ascends into heaven, the wounds go with him to God. Part of the Easter story is new life does not mean the wounds go away. It does not. But I think part of the story isn't that new life comes in spite of the wounds. Maybe the story is that new life can come with them. Maybe the story is that with God, something truly miraculous can happen, which is that new life can come precisely in those places of mortality and fear and abandonment and death. And maybe part of the Easter story for us is to live our lives backward from the conclusion that God is capable of doing more than we can imagine. God is capable of bringing new life, life that will never die, and of precisely the tombs and the crosses that we find ourselves in almost every day on Fridays and Saturdays in the stories we walk. Maybe the story is about our willingness to let go of Jesus so that he can truly be raised above us and raise ourselves to new life so that we might join him in a resurrection life within us but so that we might also be the catalyst of resurrected life with each other in places of death like Syria and in Haiti and in homeless Houston and in our offices and our family parties and in our long sleepless nights. Maybe the story is that God would raise us to new life exactly in those places. And maybe that's why one of the principal metaphors for all of this is death and new life. Maybe it's trying to get us to think God doesn't want us to make an adjustment here and here in the way we live. God wants us to live a completely new and different way. Which might mean we have to die to the old way. I am certain that that is what baptism is all about. The earliest Christians went all the way under the water. And when they came out, it was like, well, being born again into a new way of living. 
And we have the joy this morning and the privilege of celebrating that sacrament. We're going to do it for Caitlin, but we're also going to do it for ourselves and one another so that we might say, God, it is really hard to let go what I want you to do for me, but I'm willing to let you convince me so that I can live a larger life than I ever imagined possible for myself and for the world. That's why we say these vows. Caitlin and family, would you come on up?